Welcome to the Lipedema podcast hosted by Shell and Tiana. Our aim is to make noise around lipedema and educate as many people as we can about this disease. Our guest list contains professionals who work in the field and women who live with lipedema. Thank you for joining us. Dr. Lucy is passionate about obesity medicine and helping people going from overweight and overwhelmed to in control and full of health. She was an expert yo-yo dieter and was completely and utterly addicted to sugar. She developed obesity, fatty liver and pre-diabetes. She has completely abandoned traditional dieting and embraces a low-carb, real food lifestyle. She has lost 20 kilos and maintained this for over three years. Dr. Lucy graduated from medical school at Monash University in 1993. After having her own weight loss epiphany, she became a certified lifestyle management medicine physician and a clinical hypnotherapist. She is a sought-after public speaker and has spoken at multiple medical conferences on the management of obesity and weight loss. Dr. Lucy runs a busy weight loss clinic in Melbourne and advises on a low-carb lifestyle. The clinic is booked out for months and so she has transitioned to the online space. She, along with her colleague Dr. Mary Barson, have formed Real Life Medicine. They run successful online programs that address both the physiological and psychological causes of overweight and obesity. Dr. Lucy believes passionately in helping people with untangle their relationship with food and has a wonderful knack for storytelling and using analogies to explain complicated medical and behavioural science. Hello, Dr. Lucy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Ah, oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here and I'm honoured to be invited thank you thank you now I wanted to kick off uh because uh Shell and I have both been listening to Real Health and Weight Loss the podcast uh that you uh, co-host and you um have done quite a few episodes about life edema which we're very excited about um but you did mention in one of those episodes that you weren't taught about life edema in med school and you yourself do not live with lipedema so I'm really curious to know from you how did you come to learn of lipedema? Uh, well the magical world of podcasting so when uh, I first learned about the ketogenic diet and I was consuming all the amounts of information I could find YouTubes and various keto podcasts and there was one called Keto Woman with Daisy Brackenhall, which is a, she's a gorgeous English woman. And she was interviewing this lady who kept talking about her lipedema. And I'm thinking in my mind, oh, she means lymphedema. She's just got her words wrong. It's a big word. Okay, we'll just carry on. And I kept, she kept saying it. And in my head, I'm, I'm correcting her, lymphedema, lymphedema. And then she comes up with, some people will think I'm talking about lymphedema, but this is a separate condition. And I thought, what? What do you mean? So um, I thought, oh. So then I thought, well, I better go and find out about it. And so I did some Googling because that's how you find out about things. And then a number of patients came to see me, uh, both, you know, many of whom have got lipedema, which some knew about it and some didn't. And so I would just, um, you know, interrogate them for information. How does this feel? What does it feel like? What are your main symptoms? La, la, la. Because I just wanted to kind of learn all I could about it from a person, from their lived experience. So, you know, I learned that, uh, it, you know, there's often joint 
hypermobility in the joints. I learned about the pain. I learned about the little rice granules. I learned about vitamin D deficiencies, common, all of those things. So I just suddenly, as I said, I was just crazily like a crazy woman asking, asking, asking. So I could educate myself. I can't tell you how refreshing it is to talk to um, a medical professional like yourself who is just, and I'm sure you're all very interested in learning, but when it comes to having those short, sharp five to 10 minute appointments with your GP, the amount of things that they have to know on the spot is quite insane. And so for them to take the time to be interested and do some research to be able to help their patients is just so refreshing. Um so that's so interesting and you obviously work in you know in the weight loss space so you would have access to a bunch of women with like presenting with this um and I can just imagine the difference that you make to them just knowing um about this condition oh well I think it was it was like um you know it was the most eye-opening uh experience for me because I first of all realized that there were people before I knew about lipedema, there were women I was trying to help uh, and they had lipedema. I didn't know about it. They didn't know about it. And so it was like, ah, oh. and now, you know, I look back and I think, God, if only I'd known earlier, um, I could have, you know, I would have changed my approach. Although not completely because my approach really still is based in a, in a low carb slash ketogenic diet, not necessarily keto, but uh, that, that, that's still the main stay. Of, of my approach but the the way I would have packaged up the messaging about it would have been different and I would have talked to that, them a lot more about you know oh sorry I was just going to say I would have talked a lot more about that your food can change your pain levels that your food can reduce your inflammatory load and then I would have been talking to them about going to get um, you know, see a good physio, get your compression, do all the things that cons- other conservative things that you need to do to manage lipedema that I didn't know about so yeah so I do feel I feel happy to to have learnt about it oh that's really good. it's very great a nice segue that you started talking about inflammation because my next question specifically is about um, when you're talking to the lipedema community a lot of us hear that we need to reduce our inflammation and manage to manage our condition and I'd really yeah. like to ask you can you dig a little deeper for us about what exactly is inflammation yeah so inflammation is not a bad thing in general it's part of the normal human immune response and it's you know there's lots of things that cause inflammation in our body Um, you know infections will cause inflammation injuries will cause inflammation but inflammation is meant to be a short-lived so short sharp experience a little bit like stress it's fine but it should be over. So there should be an endpoint. And what we know with lipedema is that, and, and lots of other inflammatory type of conditions, it's a, it's a chronic, so it's an ongoing. So I always explain the word chronic and apologies to anybody who already knows what it is, but sometimes people think chronic means intense or big and it's it's time, it's chronicity. So a long time means chronic. So you've got chronic inflammation, which is it then sets up its own issues in itself. So we want to be able to reduce as much as possible the inflammatory load on the on the body for everybody, whether you've got lipedema or not, but particularly if you've got lipedema, because the underlying 
pathology, if you like, is an inflammatory process. So I'm sure lots of your listeners know, but you know that the, the vessels between the fat cells are leaky. They leak fluid into that interstitial space. So the interstitial space is just the tissue between cells. It's there. It's not meant to be there. The body's going, my God, what's this here? What's all this fluid doing here? It's not meant to be here. And so it makes an inflammatory response trying to push it back. And that makes it quite, um, forms this sort of jelly, which is why, you know, it's, and it's painful. And then if left for long periods of time, it scars. And that's what causes the fibrosis or the little scars in it. And they can be from tiny little standy pebbles to, you know, grainy things, even up to walnut-sized lumps. Okay, perfect. So thinking about inflammation being a really big pain point um, and focus area, how mm -hmm. then, what's your professional approach to your patients with lipedema um, and in, including inflammation and ins insulin resistance? So how do you tackle with your patients? Yeah. So I think it's important to elucidate that there are two conditions. So lipedema is one condition and insulin resistance is a separate condition. You can have them, you can have either or you can have both. So uh, if we focus first on, on the lipedema, so lipedema, as we know, is, is genetic predisposition. There's some environmental factors that usually trigger it, seemingly around hormones, estrogen, probably has a significant role given that most women, uh, their symptoms worsen during puberty, pregnancy, and then weirdly worsen during menopause when we actually reduce estrogen. So there's a little bit of a paradox going on there. But the things that we can, the things that we as humans are very good at doing is making our inflammation worse. So we can't change the cards we're dealt, but sometimes we play them pretty badly. So the things that we do that make inflammation worse are we don't sleep enough, we don't manage our stress, and we don't eat well. They would be the three biggest things that will cause inflammatory loads. Uh, in particular with the food, it's really that ultra-processed food. is you know It's highly inflammatory and causes a myriad of, of other health conditions, whether you have lipedema or not. So if we focus on the things that we can control, we can't change the genes, we can't change estrogen, what can we control? We can control the food that we eat. We can control going to bed on time. Most women are really hopeless at that. And largely it's because we're carrying these big cognitive load with, um, you know, we've got kids or we've got teenagers and we're busy and we're working and we've got elderly parents and everyone wants a piece of us. And then we get to the end of the day and we just want to sit on the couch and we just want to eat a bowl of ice cream and we don't want to go to bed. And it's like, ugh. but if we do perhaps forego the bowl of ice cream and go to bed, then it really does set us up for ongoing, you know, health, good health, which makes good choices the next day when we're not tired, we're not inflamed, we're way more likely to make better choices. Um, yeah, I love that. And, and sorry, and I was just, I just wanted to touch 
um, when I mentioned inflammation in my initial question, um, yep. what come to my mind is usually when you're talking about um, uh, insulin resistance, uh, you present with a, a sort of a bigger belly, but we find yes. in lipedema patients that we actually have uh, bigger limbs and our, and our waist is usually quite small. So it's very different for us. So does that mean that even if we have a smaller waist and not much of a stomach that we're still living with insulin? Not necessarily, no. So insulin resistance is it's a sneaky, it's a sneaky little thing. So insulin resistance occurs when our um, pancreas, it, so basically our insulin isn't working as well. So our pancreas has to make a lot more insulin to get the job done. So the insulin's job is to move glucose from the blood into the muscles. Loves doing that. It's a great, it's great at and if we didn't do that, then we get very high glucose and there's obviously problems with that and including, you know, the effects of type 2 diabetes. So high blood glucose is harmful and our body doesn't want it to happen. So it will make lots of insulin to counteract that problem, which is great, except insulin side gig is fat storage. But it's usually abdominal fat storage and organ fat storage. So insulin resistance is its own issue. And interestingly, depending on what ethnicity you are, your fat storage will be different. So for usually Anglo-Saxon people, they will get a large belly before their insulin is really high. Whereas if you're Asian, um, even Indian, you're often not, you're you're often still quite lean. So it's the tofi, you know that, have you heard of that? The thin on the outside, fat on the inside. So they present walking down the street, you think, oh, they're sort of, you know, whatever normal, normal body weight is these days, but they're, they're that. And then you find when you do your bloods and you go, actually, no, you've got, you've got all the signs of insulin resistance. You've got high insulin, you've got fatty liver, you know, and so it's not necessarily completely related to size. So women with lymphedema, can just have lipedema where their fat stores are mainly um, arms and legs and bottom and hips. There are some women who do have lipedema on their abdomen, but it's it's much rarer and more common. Abdominal fat is more commonly insulin resistant, so people can have both. Gotcha. Fantastic. So you are advocating for real food uh, yeah. to really bring down that. And brings down both, right? Um, the inflammation and the insulin resistance if we concentrate on real food. What does that look like? Yeah. So the thing, there's a couple of things that are what what I what I call your more inflammatory foods. So this this and there's really three. So the sugar. Sadly, sugar, as much as I would like to say sugar is not inflammatory, it totally is. It is absolutely 100% inflammatory. Sugar likes to jump onto proteins, so it binds with proteins. It glycosylates the proteins and it then oxidizes them. And the oxidative process is, it's like the, the browning of the apple or the rusting of the old horseshoe. Uh, then that's the that's the inflammation stuff that comes, and it causes joint pains and and muscle aches and all sorts of things. So that's sugar. We've got seed oils. 
Okay, so seed oils are things like, you know, we call them vegetable oils, but they are inflammatory because they've got very high levels of omega-6. So we, uh, there are two fatty acids that we can't make. We need them. We can't make them. So they're called essential and it's sort of essential that we eat them. Well, that's great. We're meant to eat them in a ratio of about one-to-one and that's what we used to do. So omega-3 and omega-6, about one-to-one. Then with the industrial revolution, we sort of increased our grains and things like that. Uh, so it started to be about one, two, four. And we sort of we coped with that. Our body coped quite well with that. But now with the invention or the advent of processed foods and depending on how much processed foods people contain, uh, consume, they're eating 30 to 60 times the amount of omega-6 than is helpful. So omega-6 is the pro-inflammatory fatty acid and omega-3 is the anti-inflammatory fatty acid. And so it's so helpful that the supplement industry has come along with a solution for us and said, well, why don't we just all have fish oil or krill oil because they're all omega-3 and that's all you need to do. Keep eating your processed rubbish and just take some fish oil, except that doesn't work. So the idea being that if we reduce the omega-6, if we can, it, it's, it is tricky because not everybody likes fish. Like some people are allergic to seafoods, but you can certainly get your omega-3s through things like chia seeds, walnuts, um, you know, some plant-based products that you can get them through. But even meat, meat has omega-3 in it and eggs. They're just not as high as fish. Oh, and third thing, sorry, God, I got I got carried away. I did the three things and only gave you two. Uh, third thing is 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 really is fine, highly refined carbohydrates. So the highly refined flours, wheat flour, rice flour, the the you know the chips, those sorts of highly refined things uh, are, are the three inflammatory foods. So it's tricky because you know you go. I was talking to a lady today who was telling me how she has special K for breakfast every morning, and she she chooses the one that's low in sugar. Or there's apparently a few varieties. It's been a long time since I picked up a packet of cereal, but she eats, she alternates between the low sugar and the high fiber one. And it's like wow, you know. Again, people don't know, but that's that that is a highly processed product full of garbage. Yeah, just grabbing for a box of cereal. It, it's not. It's not what we imagine it to be or what we've been told in the media, like, oh, yeah, beautiful cereals for the kids. And it's actually, yeah, it's, it's handy, but it's not really giving them anything, like nothing positive anyway. It's crazy. No, no. Iron Man, you know, wheat big, uh, what, what is it? Nutrigain is Iron Man food. And I just think, yeah, think about that iron, all rusty and oxidised. Terrific. How about we interview some Iron Men and see how many actually eat it? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I know, I know. So, when a patient comes into your clinic, if they have lipedema, how would you treat them differently? Is there anything you would do differently for that patient with lipedema? Yeah. So, I I talk to them about the the options. So, you know, it's it's a bit like a there's a a three step process. I go, I sort of say that. You know, the first step is if we're looking at food as the thing that we're going to focus on in that that particular consultation, if we're making it about the food, the first step is to to minimise processed foods. Like that, if you can do that, yay, good, tick. 
Then the next step is we discuss about a low carbohydrate approach. And then we also discuss about a ketogenic approach because low carb and keto are slightly different and people need to make an informed decision. So, you know, if there, there is some, um, there is some evidence for a ketogenic approach in particular because we know that ketone bodies, so the beta-hydroxybutyrate, is anti-inflammatory. So it's like, right. So it's got an anti-inflammatory component to it. And we know, and there's well-documented evidence for pain management in a, across multiple conditions. So not just lipedema, but back pain, um, joint pain, you know, MS, chronic things that cause chronic pain. And so we go, right, well, they're your options. So, you know, first rule, get rid of processed food. Second one, drop your carbs. Third one, think about a ketogenic diet. But only if, you know, again, it has to work with the person. The person, the woman has to want to know about it and want to do it because there's no point me just foisting it upon them. That's not going to work. So it's always a collaborative decision. And then... I always talk about testing your ketones as well. So the ketones are, you know, you, you can sort of, you can tell if you're in ketosis, if you've if you've got a trained basically brain palate. But I always go, just, just test with blood. Don't bother with the urine strips. They're unhelpful. They're inaccurate. They just tell you how much ketones you're weighing out. That doesn't tell you anything. What we want is blood ketones. If we're doing this, as a therapeutic approach. So this is not about a diet for short term. This is a therapy and it's different. It's a different way to look at something. If you don't want to do it, that's okay. You don't have to. You can just do low carb, but you may not get all the benefits that you could get if you employ a therapeutic ketogenic approach. Yeah, so that's like a whole mind shift, isn't it? It's like that mental shift, like this isn't a diet, this is therapeutic this is going to heal you this this isn't some fad diet culture thing this is actually a prescribed way of eating to reduce your inflammation and to start healing yeah yeah absolutely and I think you've just raised an important point about diet you know diet culture and diet land because um, I know women in the lipedema community I mean they've spent years decades all their life trying to lose weight uh, and being told that they're not good enough because they're still fat and, you, you know, you've got legs like tree trunks and this is ridiculous and if only you ran a bit harder or if only you tried harder in netball or whatever. And it's rubbish. It's absolute bullshit. But what we do know is that, that those thought processes, that thinking style has been ingrained for decades and it takes some time to undo it. It takes time to undo that perfectionism that we've been taught as dieters, the all or nothing approach, the you're either on a diet or on a bender, all of those. It does. It takes a little bit of time. Yeah, and that's a healing journey in itself. Um, so can totally. ketosis be um, act, like activated through any other means? Look, there's some um, studies coming out about exogenous ketones so exogenous means that you've eaten the ketones you haven't made them um and look there's plenty of 
current rubbish products out there at the moment promising the world not necessarily delivering anything but um there is a study coming out that's with a highly purified ketone ester so a ketone body not an ester so it's much more like our own ketones that we're making but i would say to women with lipedema if possible make your own because ketones that you take or drink or add to a, you know, gobbledygook, they're, they're fuel. Okay, so it, it's basically like eating more fuel. And, we, often, you know, if you're going to eat fuel, eat food because then it comes with a whole heap of other stuff, vitamins, protein, you know, minerals, all the things that are good for us. So eat food for your fuel rather than taking a ketone supplement. And it's satiating too, and it's pleasurable. Like you get all those bonuses with that. So does intermittent fasting help with ketosis? Yeah, it can. And we have to be, one of the things that I'm really mindful about, and again, this is the uh, lipedema community is overrepresented in eating disorders, and which is, again, just a result of, of years of dieting and being told, you know, that your body's not right and you're not good enough. So uh for many women they do have a history of disordered eating and so i always have to be mindful with intermittent fasting that again it's a change in mindset intermittent fasting is not about starving yourself it's about a therapeutic approach and you're right you will increase your ketone bodies by fasting but there's a few nuances with it and again if you have insulin resistance as well as lipedema then you need to really wait until your insulin levels are low enough so you can access your stored fuel. If you try uh, too fast, so the fast and the furious usually fail. Um, it's much better and gentler to do it slowly and intuitively and just wait for it to come. And it, then, then it's a super, then it's a powerful process. I think that's the hardest thing, like just relearning and also slowing down, like especially like Tiana and I, we're like, let's go hard, let's do this. But we're, yeah. we're both on this journey and learning that it's just slow and steady. Like it's progress over perfection. Let's just try one thing at a time, see if it works. If that's working, okay, now we can add something else. So, yes, I think <laughs> we've all been burnt <laughs> and we are slowly learning. <laughs> Yeah, and it's understandable because, again, you know, diet land was always about, you know, go hard or go home, uh, you know, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels, all of that stuff that was just, just rubbish. It never taught us about how to nourish, nurture our beautiful bodies, how to look after them, none of that. It's just punish it. If you're eating something, run it off with a, you know, if you've eaten a donut, go for a run. It's like you don't, you don't need to earn your food. You deserve your food. You don't have to earn it by doing a gym workout and you don't need to punish it if you've if you've gone down a path that you weren't, you know, you're not happy about. You don't need to punish your body by then flogging it at the gym to burn it off because it doesn't work like that. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, so what I want to ask you now, how do we get lipedema out in the community like how do we in the medical community how can we yeah. get it out there and and educate more doctors like you were proactive you found out about it but but how do we just as as a community 
get doctors to listen. Yeah, it's it can be trickier. Doctors listen. Doctors, some doctors are really closed. Okay, they're, I'm you know I'd love to say all doctors are loving and open, but they're not. So and and people that are closed and fixed. I mean, it doesn't matter whether they're doctors, accountants, or anybody. You can't you cannot teach someone who's not willing to learn. Uh, but if there's uh, doctors will also listen to other doctors. So, um, you know, without blowing our own trumpet, I would always say, and, and we do have a lot of doctors listening to our podcast, so that can be a helpful way, at least a first step, because they will do that. In Facebook groups, I'm always popping in going, oh, has anyone, you know, has anyone considered that this person could have lipedema? And they're going, yeah. And so educating about that. But also I think, you know, just like there's the, the Lipedema Society pamphlet that's really helpful, I think. It's an interesting, um, I don't know what you guys think. I mean, you, you're living with Lipedema, but I wondered if that pamphlet for a new person, it, it can be pretty confronting, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're going to a doctor who might not have never have ever heard of it before and you're going in there saying, I think I have this thing, like the vulnerability that that yeah. takes to say, oh, I think I think this is what I have. Do you agree? Like that, that's putting yourself out there. That is a big step. Oh, especially absolutely. For, especially for women who have been told to diet and exercise more their entire lives. Now they've been handed almost a lifeline, possibly, to answer some questions for them. And yeah, that's that's it takes bravery. Yeah. Yeah, it totally does. And I think, um, you know, again, it's about finding a doctor that you have a good relationship with who doesn't make you feel like shit because if they do, then they're not the doctor for you. And it's worth noting that you, you know, as you are allowed to change doctors, you do not have to stay with a doctor that's a dick, go with a new one and just find someone who listens to you and will let you uh, you know, will let you advocate for yourself and be open and then, you know, so many people have said to me, oh, you know, I went back and I told my doctor and they were really great. It's like wonderful, fantastic, yay. Yeah, that is a win for sure. All right, we're going to start wrapping it up now. Dr. Lucy, where can our community find you? So uh, I run a, a business with my gorgeous friend, Dr. Mary, uh, called Real Life Medicine. And we it's called that because we're both pretty real and we're very... Um, just passionate about women and women's health, particularly women who have lived in bigger bodies, who have done, who've had that whole diet trauma business. And, you know, it's, it's a really, um, you know, I mean, it's currently a very topical topic uh, related recently. I think Taryn Brumfit was in the news uh, and look, she was actually misquoted, which is again, so cheeky of the, of the newspaper, they, they just want clickbait. So she was quoted saying doctors shouldn't talk to patients about their weight and that then caused the doctors to go, oh, well, we do need to talk about it sometimes, which I agree we do, but it's all how you approach it and it's always about a beautiful, compassionate and coming from working out where where is some, somebody come from. You know, if, you, if you're living in a, in a body that isn't what society has deemed as aesthetically perfect, well, one, who gives a shit? Because oh, your body is an it's not an ornament. It's not there just to be, you know, a clothes horse. It's a powerful vehicle that carries you around. 
But what we want to do is look after that vehicle as best that we can so it can do all the things that we can. So that's a, that's a long way of saying real life medicine is our um, is our business. All of our Instagram, Facebook, everything's real life medicine. And our website, sadly, is not real life medicine because that domain was stolen. It's RL medicine, which is actually shorter anyway. Well, we'll put all of that in the show notes. I'm sure we can we can have all the links and everything there. So thank you so much for joining us tonight, Dr. Lucy. It's been great having you here. Oh, you're welcome. And, you know, Thank well you. done to you ladies too on bringing this up because it is the more people that talk about it, then it really will. It will it will permeate yeah, through the, the medical effect. community. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. All right. Have a lovely Thank evening. you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Life Edema podcast. Life edema and its symptoms vary from individual to individual. The opinions and advice voiced on this podcast are of a personal nature and used for educational purposes. Please take away from this podcast what resonates with you and please see your GP or preferred specialist for diagnosis and healthcare. We are Shelley and Tiana from the Lipedema podcast. Until our next episode, bye for now.